Anyway, so Proverbs chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, 2023, as we started off. Uh, we're looking at a message entitled, The Starting Points, all right? Proverbs chapter 1. So today marks the first day within our 31-day Proverbs challenge. Have you guys heard about this? We've been uh, telling you the last couple weeks, encouraging you to join with us. Good news, it is not too late because today is January what? First, January 1st, which means you can start today. You are not even one day behind. Uh, we actually get to kick it off together and hopefully set each other up for success. So basically, if this is news to you, as a ministry, we are going to take the first 31 days of 2023, the whole month of January, and each day we are going to dedicate ourselves to meditating on each chapter in the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in 31 days. Now, we don't have any incentives. Do you guys know what an, an incentive is? We don't have any bribes. We don't have any snack bar tickets or anything like that. Uh, that. That stuff is good, but this is something we want you to do on your own. This is something that we want you to choose to do, not because you get something, but because you will grow in your walk with the Lord. Uh, listen, this is something that no one can do for you. We can lead you to the water, but we can't make you drink. That's something that you got to choose to do on your own. And as a leadership team, we're going to encourage you along the way. We'll check up on you from week to week, uh, not in a way of, uh, you know, if you didn't do it, shaming you, but more encouraging you. Let's say you miss a day. Let's say you miss tomorrow, uh, January 2nd, and you don't read Proverbs chapter 2. No worries. Just start the next day. Pick it back up in Proverbs chapter 3 on January 3rd. One of the ways that we will uh, encourage this as well, uh, as we have mentioned, is that every day that we have a service day, other than our night of worship uh, this coming Wednesday, but every Sunday and Wednesday following, whatever day it falls on, so like for example, today's the first, so we're going to take a look at Proverbs chapter 1. Next week will be January 8th, and guess which chapter in Proverbs we'll be looking at? Chapter 8. And then on the following Wednesdays and Sundays. And so uh, this will help uh, bring some cohesion, but really, I mean, it's between you and the Lord what you do along the way. Our heart in doing this is that you would begin a habit of consistently consuming the Word of God in your life. And maybe for some of you, you already have that. You have a daily reading or some kind of a consistent time with the Lord. Awesome. Uh, this is something simple that you could really add on to anything like that. Or maybe you have nothing established. In your 12, 13, 14 years of life, you have never consistently, daily consumed the Word of God. Well, it's time to start, and we will start small, just little by little. Every one of you in this room have time for it, if you will make it. You won't happen to walk into the time. You have to take the time for it. Now, it's important, though, that uh, for this challenge, it, the idea is that you do it daily. Uh, we don't want you on a Saturday night saying, oh, oh no, I didn't read any of the Proverbs. And then you read seven chapters in one night. Of course, you could do that. It's God's word. That's between you and God. But we would love to see something daily because we want you to look at this like your spiritual food that you need in order to keep going, that you need in order to be spiritually healthy and thriving, right? Just like, just like our meals, uh, when we eat, we eat daily. At least you should eat daily. It's healthy for you. It's good for your body. You're, you need it for energy and brain health and all the rest. You don't just eat. You're like, ah, I don't eat lunch today. I'll just eat it on Saturday, and it's only Monday. It's like, no, no, you eat daily. And so spiritually speaking, we need to consume the Word of God daily if, if we want to be spiritually healthy. Now, we got to understand that this isn't a grab-and-go kind of thing or just a get-it-done kind of thing. The Bible isn't a pill that you take and all of a sudden you start becoming spiritually healthy. It is a book that enables you to hear from the one that created and redeemed you. And so what would not be beneficial to you is just reading verse one all the way to the end of the chapter and then just closing the book. No, we don't want you just to read 
through Proverbs. We want you to think and pray through Proverbs. It's called meditation. And no, I'm not talking about the crisscross applesauce and a weird thing uh, that, that might happen in Eastern cultures. I'm talking about pondering and sitting with God's word. Open, praying, thinking, and asking God to reveal his will towards you. And maybe that's something you've never done. You got to try it. And I'd encourage you to start with the goal of a minimum of 15 minutes, okay? If you've never consistently daily taken in God's word, I think it would be better for you to take in 15 minutes of God's word daily than to even wait only on one day of the week and take in an hour. I think that there's something about the the daily connection with God's word that is so beneficial for you. And so start with 15 minutes. It's 1% of your 24-hour day that God gives you every single day. You get 24 hours. 1%, 15 minutes dedicated to God, going through Proverbs will change your life. Now, hopefully... God's speaking to you so much and you're allowing him to hear, you're allowing him to speak to you where you just, you forget about time and you're able to just dive deep, but start there. Now, during that time, as I said, don't just read it and then close it. Read it once, then read it slow. And I believe that as you begin to focus, not necessarily on the things that you don't understand, um, sometimes you can get caught up on that. Have you ever tried reading the Bible? You get to a portion, you're like, I have no idea what was just said. And so you kind of get stuck on it. Just keep going. Uh, Don't focus on necessarily the things that you don't understand, but the things that kind of pop off the page, the things that almost seem like they are highlighted, that might be the very verse or portion that God's seeking to speak to you. So don't rush it. Just listen in. Get in a quiet place if you're able to and see what God does. We'd encourage you to grab a notebook, a pen, a highlighter, uh, write notes about that chapter each day, or even mark up the Bible itself. You know, you can do that. You can use pen and highlighter and whatever you want. This is, this is a, just a book, right? This was, I don't know, probably made in China or somewhere, but, but, but the words, right, is what is powerful. Not the words on the page, but the meaning of it. And so we'd encourage you to draw near to God this month, uh, and as we do, we're, we're trusting that God is going to draw near to us and transform our lives. Sound, gr- sound good? Yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we begin to look at Proverbs, we pray that you would speak to us mightily, that the word of God would transform the inward parts of our life. God, we know uh, that in our flesh, nothing good dwells, but... It is your spirit in us who has revived us, resurrected us to life, and that we are to walk in that newness of life. And so, God, we pray as we enter this year that it wouldn't just be another year. It would be a daily opportunity to be changed into the image of Christ and to be used by you in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. So before we dive into chapter 1, I want to start with an introduction to Proverbs in general. I think this is important as we uh, begin this 31-day journey to have some context of what this book is, what it means, where it comes from, and all the rest. And so we're going to ask three important introductory questions. And the first one you can see on the screen. What is a proverb? Now, proverb is an English word that we get from the combination of two Latin words. Uh, One of the Latin words is the word pro. It means instead. And then the, the idea of verb or verba is the idea of words. Basically, a proverb means translated literally instead of many words. Because proverbs are typically known as wisdom shared through short points, and principles, a brief statement that expresses a general truth. And this is not something just unique to the Bible. There are proverbs all over the world and even modern day proverbs today. It's not just old sayings. It's been said before that a proverb is a short sentence 
based on long experience. It's a short sentence based on long experience. Now, we have some modern-day Proverbs. They're not super necessarily profound, though some of them are absolutely true. But maybe you've heard of some of them. Some modern-day Proverbs are ones that go along the lines of this. Where there is a will, there is a way. Uh, Many hands make light work. Some of you guys know that one. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Okay, so those are some kind of common modern day. Technically, they fall in the category of Proverbs, right? However, the book of Proverbs in the Bible is not a collection of cute sayings or good advice. It's not just a bunch of witty lines with some truth and experience to back them. As we enter this journey today, we need to understand as we approach Proverbs is that this is the very word of God that really shows us that what God has commanded to us, right? And Proverbs, they're not so much as commandments. That's a little bit of a different style of book in that way where, sorry, I feel like I got to sneeze. It's going to pass. Give me a second. Okay, I'm good. So... So Proverbs is not necessarily, we're not going to find commandments in Proverbs like we do maybe other portions of Scripture. But what it will confirm is that God's commandments really are the best things for us. So as we read, it isn't just a take it or leave it kind of thing. We don't come to a proverb and say, oh, that's a good one. I'll take that one. And we come to another and we say, eh, like that's good, but I don't, I don't want it for my life. No, no, every proverb within these 31 chapters are the very words of God, meaning that if God was to sit down with you or I, I believe some of the things he would share with us and encourage us with would be such uh, things like the book of Proverbs. Second question, what is the genre or the theme of the book of Proverbs? Well, Proverbs is what is known as wisdom literature, along with two other books of the Bible that fall into this very specific category, the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, it's important that we understand that within the Bible lie 66 books with different uh, styles of writing. You have styles of writing like a narrative, and you, you shouldn't read a narrative like the wisdom or kind of poetical books of the Bible. Uh, you shouldn't read a narrative like you do a letter, like we see in, in the New Testament. There's, you're supposed to approach them in different ways. And this is what would be considered wisdom. And that's really the one word that answers the question of what is the theme of Proverbs? It is wisdom. If you're taking notes, the words wise and wisdom are used at least 125 times uh, in this book of 31 chapters, because the aim of the book is to help you and I acquire and apply God's wisdom to the decisions and activities of our daily life. And we're going to find that to be true from chapter one uh, to the very last chapter 31. Now, you and I get a cool perspective on Proverbs because we look at it through the lens of the New Testament, the lens of Jesus. And that's how we're supposed to look at any Old Testament book is through the lens of the New Testament. Uh, It helps us unlock what's really going on and happening. And we know that Jesus is described in the New Testament for us as the wisdom from God, the wisdom of God. And that for you and I to live wisely, it first and foremost comes down to our relationship with him. If we go on a quest for wisdom and leave Jesus out of the mix, we'll never find it. Uh, We'll never actually get there. Why? 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us this. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, redemption. I'm sure that list could go on and on and on. And so we got to keep that in mind as we go through the book. 
Now, one of the reasons that we can trust the book of Proverbs, that it is the word of God, is scripture, is because we find the writers in the New Testament believed the very same thing where we have many quotations from all over the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. You could be reading the book of Romans and in multiple places find multiple references from the book of Proverbs. So Paul believed that Proverbs was inspired. The author of Hebrews believed that Proverbs was inspired along with James and Peter, which you will find various quotes from various chapters. So you and I can have absolute assurance that what we're reading is the word of God. Third question and final one regarding our introduction is who wrote the book of Proverbs and and how is it divided up? Who wrote it and how is it divided up? Now hopefully you have your Bibles open. If you don't, it's time to turn to Proverbs chapter one. You won't get too far Uh, to see who wrote the majority of the book. Look at verse one in your Bibles. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So we believe that Solomon uh, would be the majority author of the Proverbs. However, uh, at the end of the book of Proverbs, there are two other authors that are found in chapter 30 and 31. Now, there are a lot of ways that you could divide up this book, but the following makes the most sense to me. Uh, You could go to a lot of different commentaries and Bible scholars, and they'll break it up in bajillion different ways. But this is what makes sense to me. Um, It's about five different breakdowns because these seem to be the natural breaks that the book gives of itself. So if you'll notice, Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 uh, really, those first nine chapters would, would be rightly described as the way of wisdom. That, that is the real main focus. Uh, and then the following chapters kind of give some practical ways to live that out. Uh, but Proverbs 1 through 9, all by Solomon. Uh, and you'll notice it kind of goes back and forth between uh, these Proverbs that really encompass one verse uh, and some contrast where... In Proverbs 1 through 9, we have a lot of kind of bigger sections of of Proverbs. You'll see as you go along. And then 10 through 22, uh, there's this section right in the beginning of chapter 10 where it says uh, that that there's this collection of wise sayings. We still believe those were from Solomon, uh, or at least he gathered them, where it's kind of this main collection. Then uh, chapters 25 through 29, you'll open up chapter 25 and you'll see this little tagline and it will describe how Hezekiah was one to gather these Proverbs together and then set them in order. Some people believe that it would have been Hezekiah who would have put together what you and I know now as the full book of Proverbs, that he didn't just gather chapters 25 through 29, but he kind of pieced these all together, uh, but we're not exactly sure. And then, uh, of course, the last two chapters, 30, 31, uh, we don't know if these guys, some people think that these guys were maybe related uh, to someone or, or maybe friends with, somehow Solomon knew them. We don't exactly know. There's a lot of speculation. Some people even think that uh, that he is King Lemuel, and that uh, th- there's all kinds of speculations that really don't matter. Nonetheless, it's clear that they're kind of two different authors uh, from Solomon in the last couple chapters. But I want to ask a question before we dive into chapter one, uh, under this kind of idea of authorship, is what qualified Solomon to write so much wisdom literature? Now, some things hopefully come to mind for some of you, and that's kind of the the story of of Solomon's kingship. So 1 Kings chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, nothing's going to be on the screen, but you might want to note it down. It'd be be a good uh, contextual um, passage to read uh, as an introduction to Proverbs, but 1 Kings 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, the scene is where David has now passed on into eternity. He's no longer King David. He is with King Jesus. And now Solomon is king over Israel. The Lord appears to Solomon and 
tell Solomon to ask for anything of him. Does this story ring a bell for some of you? And what did Solomon ask of the Lord? Yeah, for essentially for wisdom. He goes on to ask the Lord for an understanding heart to judge the people and discernment between good and evil. Essentially, he asks for what he needs to run the kingdom. Solomon had pretty big shoes to fill from his father, David, and he felt like he needed this equipping from God. He, he really asked for wisdom. The story goes on that this pleases the Lord, what Solomon asked for, and God grants Solomon a wise and understanding heart that he would be like no one that came before him and like no one that would ever come after him besides Jesus. God essentially makes Solomon the wisest man to have ever lived and, and who would ever live. Really, the way that the wording is, you got to go read it for yourself. The conclusion is that there will never be someone as wise as Solomon to ever exist on this planet again. Uh, his, his reign was certainly unique. Now, in the following chapter, 1 Kings 4, verse 29 and 32, we're given this insight where verse 29 says, And God gave Solomon wisdom, we know that, and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore. And verse 32, a couple verses down, he, being Solomon, spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So from this wisdom, Solomon became a writer of not only Proverbs, but also of these songs. Now, out of that 3,000 that we know that he recorded during his lifetime, we have in Scripture a little over 500. A little over 500. So the book of Proverbs is made up of what they, what they say is a little over 500 of these Proverbs. Now, one of the saddest realities about the life of Solomon is that he did not practice what he preached. Solomon became a great man, and the kingdom of Israel was certainly unmatched during the time of Solomon. But the problem was that Solomon didn't fully follow the Lord. And from this wisdom and success, it went to his head, and he began doing things that just were not fitting for a godly king to do. And so though he wrote a lot of wisdom, unfortunately, the life of Solomon is not characterized by the wisdom that he had, which is a warning for all of us, that you could become an expert on the book of Proverbs and live like a fool. You could be the smartest man to ever live, someone with understanding and knowledge, and yet be a dummy. Meaning that it's not about knowledge. It's not about how much you know or how much you know how to do. But rather, we're going to see today that the key is something altogether different than that. Now, a fitting intro into the book of Proverbs is actually the very ending of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so we're almost to Proverbs 1. But I'd like you to turn to this portion of scripture in your Bible. But before you do, let me tell you how to get there. In the Bible, how it's laid out, Ecclesiastes follows Proverbs directly after. So turn a little bit to the right. You'll be going through Proverbs, and then you'll hit Ecclesiastes. Go to the last chapter, which is chapter 12. And uh, you'll see why in a moment why this is important uh, setup uh, regarding Proverbs. It gives us a little bit of insight into uh, why he wrote it in the way that he did. So Ecclesiastes is a book that Solomon writes. Uh, it's within that wisdom literature. And what he writes about is the emptiness that this world has to offer. Basically, Solomon, being the wisest man to ever live, uh, but not always living according to that, he tried to find fulfillment, satisfaction, and contentment in everything the world could offer and came to the conclusion it's all a waste if you don't follow the Lord. And this is where he kind of comes to the conclusion. And it's an important conclusion for us to start with 
because it's going to set the tone for the book of Proverbs. This is now Solomon at the end of his life. He really didn't live by the wisdom he knew, but he comes to the right conclusion at the end. But that's not what you and I want to do. We don't want to get to the end of our life and say, man, I wish I would have lived differently. You know, I tried everything the world has to offer. Man, it was empty. And it left me discontented and unsatisfied. Well, at least I know how to live, but too bad I already live my life. You see, you and I want to learn from those who have gone before us like Solomon and learn what life should be about. So let's read what he has to say at the end of Ecclesiastes. Look at chapter 12. We'll start in verse 9 and read to the end of the book. Verse 14. And moreover, because the preacher, that Solomon, was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. That's what gives us our book today. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. They're, they're helpful. And further, my son, verse 12, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. This is not something you're going to learn in books. Verse 13, he says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He can see the end of his life, and he says, this is what life is all about. Fear God, verse 13, and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That is it. That's the conclusion. We're going to learn in a moment that the very key to unlock, unlocking all true wisdom and knowledge, there is a starting point, and it is the fear of God. So Proverbs chapter 1, we'll you guys can flip back there now. Hopefully you put a little ribbon. If not, you just got to go back one book. But Proverbs chapter 1, uh, today we're not going to look at every verse, but we'll start with the first seven, verses 1 through 7. Focus on verse 7 and then kind of bounce around a little bit after that to conclude our time together. All right, Proverbs chapter 1. Here we go, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma the words of the wise and the riddles. This is how you do it. Verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So where does it all begin? What's the starting point? How does one gain all those things? How does one gain instruction and understanding and prudence and discretion and learning, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Let's break it down a little bit. I'm sure this is a phrase that you have heard, but it is one that you must not only understand, but choose to begin to implement in your own life, because this is the starting point. And if you, if you go on past this, nothing will ever make sense in life. Remember, his conclusion was that man's all is about fearing God and keeping his commandments. That is what we are to do. And that's what will unlock all wisdom and knowledge. Fear of the Lord. So this occurs 11 times in the book of Proverbs. So that's why we're talking about it today is because it's going to set the tone for the rest of the book. Fear the Lord. Uh, which is just phrased a little bit different, it's more of an instruction, occurs four times. So 15 times this topic is brought up. This word fear, don't think about it in the idea of terror or fright, uh, where you get scared. 
Uh, that's not the word that's used. The word that is used within the context is the idea of giving someone the proper reverence and respect towards someone who is clearly superior to you. I like to think of it as a healthy fear. There are some things that you and I should show a proper reverence and respect for, for our own good. Uh, and we have other examples of this in life. They're, they're, none of them are perfect examples, uh, but we have some when it comes to a, a police officer. Uh, we're to have a certain healthy fear of a police officer. Now, should we uh, be afraid of them? No, we don't need to be afraid of them unless we're doing something wrong. Then, then, there, then there should be uh, even more of that fear. But there's, there's a certain respect realizing that they, they exist to be God's instrument of righteousness. And so if we were acting in unrighteousness, uh, there would be a fear that caused. And so part of the motivation of a police officer's presence, what does that do? That causes people to act differently. Have you guys ever seen a police officer speed trapping someone? right, where they, they, they find a spot and they, they hang out and they, and they get the radar gun down. And what, what happens? People just, they see it and they slam on their brakes. So they slow down. Or maybe you've seen it where there's just a police officer and all of a sudden people start slowing down. And sometimes you're like, man, I wonder if that, that officer gets like annoyed that people are so slow around him. But anyway, what, why is that? Because the presence of the officer produces action in the people around. And, and in, in a similar way, God's present all the time. And we're to have a healthy reverence and respect towards who he is and what he has said. Or what about the, the ocean? Now, this is going a kind of different direction, but I think there's some similarities in some ways. You and, you and I, we should respect the ocean. And if you've ever experienced the power of the ocean in just a little bit, I've just gotten a little foretaste of what the ocean can do. You know, when you're body surfing or you're... Uh, bo boogie, boogie boarding. Yeah. yeah. This sounded weird in my head all of a sudden. Yeah. Boogie boarding. I was like boogie. But anyway, so, you know, you get slammed. Have you ever gotten like taken under the water when then you like try to get up and then it slams you again and you try to get up and your back's broken. You're like, what the heck just happened? And you need to have a healthy respect towards the ocean, knowing when to get in, looking at the currents. Uh, you know, people get dragged out, all kinds of stuff. Now, do we need to be afraid of the ocean? No, I don't think so, but we should have a healthy fear towards it, respect its power. You see, our reverence and respect towards God is what moves us to action. It's what causes us to live holy lives. Let me illustrate this for you in another way. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, Nehemiah 5, 15 I don't know how familiar you, are, familiar you are with the story of Nehemiah, but he basically becomes the governor of Jerusalem after a long time of really bad leadership and an absence of many, uh, many Jews because of the captivity. But basically, he becomes governor, but he's different than all those that came before him. And notice the difference. This is what he says. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine he stole from them. Besides 40 shekels of silver, he taxed them too hard. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. So people ruled that shouldn't have ruled. But notice what he says. But I did not do so. Why? Did he not have the power? No, he had the power. He could have. But what stopped him? He says, because of the fear of God. It's not that he was afraid of God, but it's that he had such a reverence and respect for what God had said, what kind of man he was to be. And so that's what caused him to be able to have control over the power that he was given. Solomon starts it off here and he says, this is the beginning of knowledge. This is the beginning of wisdom. The idea of beginning is the Hebrew word that means the start. It's that which comes first, but it kind of has this dual meaning. It not only means the start, as we would kind of think that that means, but also means the, the capstone of something or the very essence or the best and the chief part. 
What this tells us is that apart from fearing God, you cannot know anything as you should. Sure, you can know things. There are a lot of smart people that don't fear God. They're not wise. They'll never come to the right conclusions. You ever wondered how the smartest guys can live the stupidest lives? How the smartest guys can come to the dumbest conclusions? Why? Because they, they, they know a lot of things, but they skipped the beginning. You might know things, but you'll never have the right perspective without this starting point. You might have the pieces of the puzzle, and some people do. They have a lot of pieces. They know about pieces we don't even know about, but can they put it together? They can't. Why? It's because they didn't start in the right spot. You'll always be missing the most important part that brings everything you know together. The Bible describes that those that deny their creator... The Bible says that they profess to be wise. They profess to know a lot of things, but they become fools. The Bible says that their understanding is darkened by their alienation from God due to their willing ignorance. It's not that they're actually dumb. It's that they're choosing to be fools. It's not that they don't have access to the right knowledge. It's that they choose to reject the base thing, the foundation, the starting block, the starting point, which is to fear God. They deny his very existence, which makes them become fools. That's why people can have all kinds of education, be all kinds of smart. And at the end of their life, they will be a fool for having wasted what God had given them. Now notice the contrast. Look in verse seven in your Bibles. We have our proverb, right? When we find this sharp contrast, a fool then is described as someone who despises wisdom and instruction. Now to despise something, it means to belittle it or to ridicule. Now, oftentimes those that would be in this camp of a fool, they would never outright say that they despise wisdom. They wouldn't say, I hate knowledge. No, usually it's the opposite. Right? They profess to be wise. They profess to love knowledge and learning and instruction. But in their very action, because they rejected the fear of God, which is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, in their life, they actually despise. They, they look down upon what is true wisdom. That's why the Bible says that to the world who is perishing, they look at the wisdom of God as foolishness. And we've all experienced that to some extent, maybe family members or friends. You know, many people would think it would be ridiculous that you came to church today. It would be foolish. What are you doing here? You stayed up late? This is the one day to sleep in. Yet you and I, because we started with the right spot, we started in the beginning with fearing God, this is the best place we could be today. Now, The word fool has three different Hebrew words that are translated the same way. So in Proverbs, there are three words for the word fool. Everyone say fool. Three different words. Now, you'll notice the Hebrew words, which I don't even want to attempt to try to say. But um, these are three Hebrew words, but they're always like in, you would never know unless you had a, a, a Hebrew, what is called a lexicon. Uh, or concordance. Those are just fancy words to say uh, that shows the translation difference. The first one is used 49 times in Proverbs. It's the most common, and it means someone who is thick-headed and stubborn. Um, the second one, a, a Nabal, is someone who is, would be described as still a fool, but it's la- someone who's lazy and short-sighted, meaning they're not looking at the long term. That's used only three times. It's less common. And then the last one is, is what we have in verse 7. So verse 7, if you look at the Hebrew, the word is this last one, which means someone who's arrogant and hardened in his ways. Someone who rejects the fear of God in their life, I mean, I don't, I'm not afraid of him. I don't even believe he exists. It's because of arrogance and hard-heartedness and head <laughs> Headheartedness, in a sense, that they're hardened in their ways. That word is used 19 times in 
Proverbs. So verse 7, okay, you can think about it as the, uh, the motto or the mission statement for the rest of the book. You're going to see that contrast over and over again. The one who is wise is the one who fears God, and the one who is a fool who doesn't want to take anything uh, from anyone regarding instruction. Okay, so as we begin to kind of conclude that, that's the main thrust of today, but I want to show you a couple other things. So after verse 7, look in your Bibles. I want you to follow along with me. Again, I'd encourage you, go read this first chapter in its entirety later on today. Like, don't just because, oh, well, we already did Proverbs chapter 1. No, the challenge is that you personally take those 15 minutes, okay? And then you'll just have a little bit more context uh, from the teaching today. But verse 8 Okay, it says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. That's Solomon. These are basically, he records the words that he would say to his son. And in this section, he tells, he tells him, hey, Solomon, or he, he tells his son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. He says, don't go with someone who's going to try to drag you away from this fear of God. After this instruction, look at verse 20. And you should have these somewhat sectioned in your Bibles. The verse 20 Uh, he then begins to continue to talk about wisdom and he speaks about wisdom as if it was a woman. He uses this poetical imagery to prove a point talking about wisdom. And so notice the verbiage. Look at verse 20. He says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She, being wisdom, raises her voice in the open square. So woman wisdom is kind of, he uses this as an illustration. And he says that this woman wisdom calls out to anyone willing to listen. Meaning anyone can have God's wisdom. Anyone can, can, can gain this, but those, only those that are willing to come will. But there are many who reject it by despising wisdom and instruction. They reject the fear of God. But I want to show you the result, okay? Look at verse 28 and 29, either in your Bibles or on the screen. The result of rejecting this wisdom. It says, this is woman wisdom. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and notice, did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's a really big insight for you and I. The fear of God is something that you choose. It is not something that you stumble upon. It's not something that happens to you. You're not going to have an epiphany where all of a sudden you begin to fear God. It is a choice, and it's a choice that you can choose today. You must choose the fear of the Lord in your life. How do I choose it? Well, you you start, I believe, in prayer by asking God to help you choose that, right? Because it's one thing in here in church for you to choose the fear of the Lord. It's a little bit easier for for some of you. You still have a really hard time. But nonetheless, this is a little bit of an easier place. But what about when you get home? What about this week? What about when you're in your room and no one else knows what you're doing besides you and God? What will you choose? I believe what you will choose in those moments of decision are based upon what you choose in moments like today. Will you leave this room just letting this be another Bible study that just goes in one ear out the other? Or will you, with the Lord, choose the fear of God? Proverbs 9.10, you'll get there on day nine. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a repeated idea throughout the book, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is the starting point. This is where it all begins, but where does it all end? Let's say you guys choose to fear God today, and then every day after, you continue to walk in the fear of God. What will be yours other than just wisdom? Well, look at verse 33, the last verse in your Bible's in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 33, tells us the conclusion of coming to woman wisdom by fearing the Lord. But whoever listens to me, being wisdom, will dwell safely and will be secure without fear 
of evil. Pretty amazing description. The one that chooses the fear of God, you will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. I don't believe that this is focused on the physical, meaning that you're never going to get an accident. You're like, I can drive 90 miles an hour when I get older because I'm not going to be dwelling in safety. You're going to die, okay? So don't do that. I believe this is more talking about your inner reality, your inner conscience, that you are going to dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil, meaning that you're going to have a freedom from anxiety or worry. There's going to be a certain level of confidence, not in yourself, but in God when you live this way. You're going to be secure. That, that means to be at rest. And the idea of without fear or evil is you're not going to always be worrying about something bad happening. Some people live like that. They live with a fear of something bad happening. That's the idea of living without evil is to live without that. It's called the peace of God. And God wants you to experience it. Remember, we're not promised peace on the outside of life always. We're going to go through things. There's going to be trials and tribulations as Jesus promised. But what God does promise to those who fear his name is you will lack no good thing that you will experience the peace of God. And it is awesome. It is awesome. So this is our prayer as we go into the new year. Psalm 8611, this is where we close for the day. But this is, this is what I want you guys and myself to take as our prayer, okay? Psalm 8611, the psalmist prays, says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. Maybe some of you guys have had no idea what I've said for the last 40 minutes. That's okay, because God is a really good teacher and way better than I am. So you pray, you ask him, you're like, God, I, I, I want that. I want, to, I, I want to start at the right spot. I want to have the right perspective. Then you ask him, teach me your, this is the way of God. What you're going to find in the book of Proverbs is God lining the path that he wants you to live. But you and I, our hearts are prone to wander. We're prone to distraction and the weights of this world. And so we need to stay close to Christ. We need to commit to walk in his truth. And I love this last part. And this is the one that, that gets me. He says, unite my heart to fear your name. That's his prayer. Now, when I first read that, I was like, unite my heart. What, is that? what does that even mean? So what it means, what he's asking for is a heart undivided. A heart that is solely focused on fearing the name of God. What does this look like? This, this looks like what I described earlier in that, in that moments of decisions of life, whether by yourself in your room, whether that's at the moment where you could knock your sister out, whether that's the moment of you want to disobey your, your mom or dad, what will you choose? Well, our hearts go through division. And that division is from the spirit and the flesh. They war against each other. And so sometimes our lives can be undivided where we want one thing, but we do another. Have you ever experienced that? You truly want to live one way. And then by the end of the day, you're like, wow, I messed that one up. What is that? We have undivided hearts. And so we need the Lord to unite our heart to fear his name. Amen. Lord, this is our prayer. And God, we want to enter this new year with an undivided heart, a heart that is solely loyal to you. God, we know that your name is the name above all names. We know that, Lord, your name is power. And we want to experience that in our lives. And so we call on the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus. God, we, we look to no other because you alone have the words of eternal life. And we ask that you would do this work in us. God, if we go and attempt 
to try to live in wisdom, uh, we're not going to make it out of the doors here. But I know that if we rely on you, that if we, Lord, find our refuge and our rest in you, that you will do the work in us. It's not a cop-out. We need you. We need you to do the doing in us. Lord, and maybe our hearts are apathetic today. I pray that you'd stir us up. Lord, that we would not be lazy. We would not waste one day. But that, God, you would help us keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we don't want to look back at our lives one day and come to the conclusion of how we should have lived. Of course, we're sinful. We're going to have regrets. We're going to wish we spent less time doing this or more time doing that, God, but we want to finish the race well. We want to fight the good fight. And we know that starts with a little at a time, step by step. That's how you lead us. And so today, God, would you help us to get the, to the end of this first day of the year, having feared your name, having chosen obedience over ourselves and what we desire and what we want, that we would choose the fear of the Lord now here in this room, that when we come across those decisions, it's already been made. It's already been predetermined because we live for someone other than ourselves. God, you are worthy of our lives, our attention, our affections, our adoration, our obedience. And so God, we choose to give them to you this day. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.